You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, episode 45 with Kevin Turpin. You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trailblazers podcast. Our guest today is Mr. Kevin Turpin, president of National Journal. Kevin is one of DC's up and coming trailblazers that's helping lead one of Washington's most established and trusted media brands that serves government and business leaders all throughout the nation's capital. Now, in his various roles with National Journal, he's had exposure to product development, strategy research, digital and marketing, just to name a few. And in today's conversation, we're about to unpack some of his tips and his wisdom around hiring and leading people. And we also get into a discussion about some of the most important things that go into doing effective market research. It's a power-packed episode. You're sure to come away with some inspiration and knowledge that you'll be able to apply in your own career or business. A quick FYI, we got a brand new mixer board installed just a few weeks ago to help improve the audio of our episodes. But for whatever reason, my volume is still coming through really low in parts of today's episode. So just wanted you to to, to know I'm continuing to work on optimizing that. But the great news here is you're going to hear Kevin's uh, responses crystal clear. So that's all that really matters today. So go ahead and open your Evernote or grab your notepad and pen. And let's get set to listen to today's guest. Mr. Kevin Turpin. Enjoy. Kevin, welcome and thanks for being our special guest on today's episode. Stephen, it's so great to to be with you tonight and uh, thanks for inviting me. So for those listening, Kevin and his wife attended undergrad at Georgetown with my wife. And so I've known Kevin for nearly 10 years now. And I've grown to admire and respect his career journey. And I'm just really happy that we get to have you on, Kevin, and share some of your journey with our community. So, you know, we like to begin from a place of gratitude. And I find that it frees us from whatever pride or frustrations or anger we might have had happening prior to our call, right? And I find that it positions our interviews for a really successful conversation, if you will. So I'd love if you could share, you know, what you're most grateful for in your life right now. Uh, that That's a great question and also a great way uh, to do all those things that you just mentioned um, and, and really start afresh in the phone call. I would say what I'm most grateful right now in my life is my newborn son. Uh, he, well, I guess he's not a newborn anymore. <laughs> seven, seven months. Uh, and uh, he really is the joy of uh, my wife and I's life. Uh, he keeps a lot of things in perspective for me. Uh, this has been a, a very busy year uh, from career success. But uh, having Sean join our lives certainly was uh, the biggest highlight of the year and probably one of the biggest highlights of of our lives, uh, talking about my wife and I. Uh, So every day I wake up just thankful that 
I can look in his eyes and, and, and see him smile uh, and everything else going on in my life, which uh, is busy just like everyone else's life is busy, uh, kind of gets encapsulated in that moment and uh, gets me looking forward to whatever the day will bring. So, Kevin, before we get into our call, I'd love you to share, you know, what was an experience of a lifetime that you had back in 2002 at Georgetown when you won our brand new car. You know, I've heard the story, but I'd love you to share it with our community and tell us in your own words what happened. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about 15 minutes of fame. Uh, and and I'm always happy to tell this story because uh, it brings me back to my dreams of once uh, being a college basketball star uh, and uh, uh, going to the NBA. But my uh, 5'8 frame uh, uh, just kind of stopped me short uh, before I got to college. But uh, uh, the story goes... Uh, we were going to a Georgetown basketball game, uh, and my wife actually uh, used to work in the basketball office, and they were always looking for students to participate in the halftime entertainment, which involved a, a contest where you went out uh, and you had to make a layup and a free throw and a three-pointer and a half-court shot all within 25 seconds. So you you could get as many shots as you wanted, but it had to be within the 25 seconds. And you had to hit them all before you moved to the next level. So I was chosen uh, uh, because I knew someone in a high place. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, and actually, this is an important part of the story. Uh, so before walking out on the court, me and a buddy of mine, we, we actually said a quick prayer. Uh, and, and I forget what the prayer exactly was, but uh, let's say the prayer was something like, God be with Kevin as he uh, goes out on the court and, and, and give him success. Uh, and uh, I then went out and I, I made the free throw. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I made the layup. Uh, then I made the free throw. I made the three-pointer. Uh, and this was all in succession. So I actually ended up having, I think, like, 15 seconds to hit a half court shot. So I go back to the half court line and I take two steps and I launch it. And lo and behold, it went through. The, it went. It, First it, it actually it didn't touch rim at all. It went, it went straight through the net. Stop uh, and wow. that was uh, an amazing moment. The crowd went crazy. I think <laughs> it, it was a near packed house that night because we were playing, I believe, UConn. So that was always a big game on the schedule. Right. Uh, uh, so uh, I think after I did that, I, I I ran to the camera. And if you remember in 2002, there was this fun dance called the Harlem Shake. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about the, the more recent Harlem Shake. Right. This was this was a, the original Harlem Shake. Right. And I think I did the Harlem Shake on the camera and, and made a made a fool of myself. But uh, I will say uh, for anyone who doesn't think prayer is real, that certainly uh, proved that uh, prayer and faith uh, can, can can change things quickly. Wow, that's <laughs> an awesome story, man! I love love hearing that and, from your, and, your perspective. And, and to add one uh, one more nugget to it, so. We searched everywhere. My parents were like, we want the video. And it was on ESPN that night. And I was on SportsCenter that night. Really? Uh, I was. But we, we couldn't find the video anywhere. And the school only had one of those. If you've ever seen the blooper reel videos where they're fast forwarded and it's very quick. And that's the only video we had. But uh, two years later. And sometimes I tell this part and people are like, this is not true, but I, but I, but I swear it's very true. Two years later, I'm sitting in my apartment and I'm just flipping the channels. And then all of a sudden I see myself shooting 
the basket Stop. and it's on the Spanish channel. And it, uh, uh, I laugh to this day at that, but uh, my, my 15 minutes of fame were, were stretched out uh, to, nice. to, to give me some fame on the Spanish channel two years later. Nice. So, you know, this year has been an incredibly active year for you. Of course, as mentioned, you became a father, but you're also promoted twice this year, right? Yes. Uh, promoted twice uh, in one year. Um, so it, this has certainly been a, a very blessed year for me, right. uh, a, a busy year. But, you know, when, when when good things come like this, you just you just have to uh, go with the flow and, and know that you're you're in a in a flow period uh, in your life, and you have to take advantage of opportunities that you're given. Uh, my my mentor and now boss David Bradley, uh, he talks about how how life it doesn't work in a straight line. It often works in. Uh, a lot of bell curves. You go up and then you go down, you go up and you go down. Uh, and he, he talks about when you're, when you're on uptime, that is when you're very thankful, you're modest, you're reflective. You think about what you could do for others, how you can help others, but also how you can uh, make the best out of your current situation. And when you're on a down curve, no matter what, you have to know that you're going to go back up again. And you can always wake up every day knowing I'm going to get back up again. Uh, and that's the moment when you're hopeful. Uh, and we've all been in those up and down curves. I, I will certainly tell everyone I'm in I'm in a very up curve right now. And uh, I'm just trying to take advantage of the opportunities I'm getting and uh, make the best out of them. Uh, but it's certainly been, again, a blessed year for me. Right. Right. <laughs> no, you've been at National Journal for what, like 10 years no, actually eleven. So I've been at National Journal for eleven years. It's it's the only place I've I've ever worked. So uh, I think I'm becoming somewhat of a fossil in the sense of my story. Uh, uh, in that I started at, at at a job and I and I stuck with it uh, and have been there. Now certainly uh, I've been given different opportunities almost on an annual basis and have have worked very hard. Uh, to make the best out of those opportunities. But this is going to be my 12th year uh, this coming June. Now, you've you've been at National Journal for 10 plus years, right? So, you know, you've been you've been banging at your craft now for some time. What I'd love you to share, you know, what what sacrifices have you had to make to propel you, especially as a young African-American man to become president of National Journal? Absolutely. That's a that's a great question. Um, I think that the first thing is even from the very beginning of my career at National Journal, uh, and, and I'll actually I'll frame it this way because it'll make sense in, in, in a direct answer to your question. Uh, so I, I took in actually recently. Um, do you know Gallup Strength Finders? Yeah. Um, so I took that assessment and my number one strength was achiever. And in learning that about myself many years after, I could see it all through my career uh, at, at National Journal, I've always been driven to achieve. And what I sacrifice for that is there have been many, many late nights. I've given a lot to the job. Uh, I've gotten a lot back from it, um, but I've certainly given a lot, a lot of my time, a lot of my free time thinking about how I can improve things and whatever role uh, that I had at a particular time. Um, I've certainly made sacrifices to not take 
different positions right. uh, in different companies uh, that I was give, given the opportunity to take just because I, I really believed in what we were doing at National Journal. Uh, and most of all, I really loved the people I was working with. Right. Uh, and those other positions may have been at a flashier brand names at a particular point, at least in my career arc or in a competitive in our competitive landscape. Uh, but for me, those sacrifices were very small, obviously, for uh, the output that I got by staying loyal and sticking with one organization. Right. <laughs> so so hard work was was your luck. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I and I often I always say this. I, I believe I've been incredibly blessed. Right. Uh, and that's really central in my character and what I believe. Mm-hmm. I, I also believe that I've worked really, really hard Absolutely. for everything that's come to me. Uh, and uh, that is certainly part of it. Uh, and uh, it's something that has been infused in me uh, since I was a child. My, my, my dad, when I was growing up, um, uh, he instilled that in me that you have to work for what you want. So, you know, I, I would want sneakers uh, or a certain kind of sneaker. And uh, instead of my parents saying, OK, we'll buy it for you for Christmas, they would say, OK, great. How much does it cost? Uh, you should go out and cut some lawns and save your money. And if you really want those sneakers, you can use your money on uh, on, on buying those sneakers. Uh, but you should also think about how you want to invest your money elsewhere. Um, so I would I would cut grass for a whole summer and I would end up buying my own school clothes and I would end up buying my own sneakers. And I really appreciate it. It was it was annoying at the time, I will admit. Uh, um, but I, I really appreciate those times now because what it infused in me was for the things you want. And again, going back to the achiever in me, for the things you want, you have to work hard. And if you work hard, uh, you'll get you'll get payoff. Uh, and that that really instilled in me a feeling of hard work equals success. And uh, that that still is something that drives me to this day. You know, Kevin, there's uh, an inspiring quote that pops up on my cell phone each and every day. And it says, good people bring out the good in people. You know, I imagine you now manage hundreds of people at National Journal. And I'd love you to, you know, to I, I'd love to, to tap into what you've learned about hiring and leading people toward a common vision and mission and and have you share a little bit about your approach towards that that that's another great question uh so my approach to hiring has always been simple uh but it can be trusted uh and 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 number one overall approach is you're only as good as the people that you have on your team Uh, and i know a lot of people say that i believe that I was taught that again by by my mentor there at National Journal and at Atlantic Media Company, which is our holding company. Uh, but thinking about that, really, uh, it all is centered around two things that we recruit for. Uh, one is force of intellect. Uh, so I I truly believe that you can tell. Uh, the intellect of someone just by interviewing them one time and asking specific questions. And really what I'm looking for is when you ask someone a simple question, for example, tell me about something that went wrong uh, in your last job. And if you were 
if you were in a position to change it, what would you do? Uh, and I'm looking for people who have opinions, who can, they don't have to have the right answer, but there is a, there is a, the way of thinking themselves into a plausible next step scenario. Right. Uh, so that's one thing. Number two is I always recruit for uh, what we call within Atlantic media, spirit of generosity. And really what that means is it's a person that's going to have a generous spirit, of course, to the outside world, but also to the internal world. Uh, and when I say internal world, how do you treat your colleagues? If I were to ask your your last set of colleagues, what was the best thing about working with you? What would they say? If I, if I were to ask them what was the worst thing about working with you, what would they say? And I found that when you recruit for those two things, you end up getting a great mixture of person. You get someone who has ideas, who cares about ideas, um, who will be a contributing member to your team, but at the same time uh, also can work with people, can work on a team to to go after a bigger goal. And that's really hasn't failed me yet. And usually when I do make a mistake in hiring, as everyone does, it's because I ignored one of those things mm. uh, and I kicked myself for ignoring it. And I probably rationalized why someone should be a good fit. But when ignoring one of those things, it typically always end up ends up Price. in someone who isn't a great fit. Right. So what what. So that's great. I mean, these are amazing tips and wisdom uh, on on the hiring side. I'd I'd love to kind of hear your approach on actually leading people. Sure. So I actually have an approach where I'm the opposite of micro. I'm on the total other end. I, I like to macro manage people. I am big on empowering people to do their greatest skill. Um, so uh, another hiring thing that I always tell everyone that I hire is I hire you because I think you have the skills to achieve in whatever job you're being hired for. Mm. So a question I ask all of everyone I interview is what's your 90th percentile skill? Wow. What do you think your 90th percentile skill is? It's actually a really interesting question for people to answer because I'm actually asking them the brag at that moment. Right. Uh, and usually you go into interviews and you say, you know, I want to get across what my skills are, but I don't want to seem like I'm bragging. I want people to say, I think I'm great at X because I actually want to know what people are great at. The reason why I want to know what people are great at when when they work for me, I'm going to let them do that. Uh, I am going to set forward a vision. I am going to set forward a strategy. Those are the things I'm good. I think I'm good at. And then I actually give my direct reports and, and all of my staff a lot of room within whatever vision and strategy that is set for them to make decisions uh, that they're in the best position to make. They're in a better position than me to make them because they're working with this particular project every day where I might be thinking about it once a week or once a month. Right. Uh, and they know it really well. And the reason why they have that project is they have unique skills to complete it. So when I say that I'm the opposite of micro, I'm not the manager that's going to check in on someone every day. I am not the manager that uh, is going to adjust plans constantly. I am the manager that's going to come in and say, here's what we need to do. Here's why we need to do it. This is how it's going to make sense 
for the overall business. Now, I want you to take this and make it better and bring me back recommendations on how we should exactly get it done. And then I want you to do it. Um, so I, I like to think that that's freeing for my direct reports because one, they're able to do things that they are good at and that gives them the feeling of success because they're set up to succeed. Yes. Kevin, what have been some of your failures and, and what have you been able to learn from them? Sure. Um, so there's a couple I can, I can speak to. Uh, one of my more recent failures is, um, a couple jobs before the one I'm in now, uh, I was the head of product, new product development for our company. Uh, and I was just coming off a, a rather successful pr- product launch. Uh, and we were trying to back that out, uh, back that up with another successful product launch. And we went out and I did, I did the market research and I was fairly confident that, uh, we were going into a space that would really lead to success for us and really keep our momentum going uh, in launching new products into uh, our market. And uh, it didn't work out. Uh, For one, uh, I got my market sizing analysis wrong. uh, And that was on me. Uh, It it was totally on me. Um, I thought the market at least for the product that we're producing was bigger uh, than it actually ended up being. I got a piece of it right, which there's a certain type of organization that we did very well with. We we got the conversion rates we were looking for. I just thought there were more of those organizations than there were. Uh, And and that was a that was that was just something I missed. Uh, So uh, really what I learned from that is a couple things. Uh, One is uh, obviously this is somewhat probably basic, but uh, Always, always, always triple check uh, important foundational things like market sizing. Uh, it's something I'm carrying with me for the rest of my career sure. uh, because the the product was interesting. It ended up being really successful and the people we were serving loved it uh, and actually probably still love it to this day. Uh, the problem was I couldn't replicate the buyer right. uh, enough times to make it, for right. the business to work. To scale, yeah. Uh, yeah, to scale it, exactly right. Um, number two, um, so the, the baseline failure was in market sizing. Although there's a secondary fail- failure for me, the group that we were serving really, really appreciated the product and I priced it wrong. If I would have priced it higher uh, and made it uh, more of a premium niche product, Mm. uh, it probably would still be going today. But I priced it for a larger scale and uh, I missed it. So I missed in I missed in two ways. Um, But it, it was a good moment for me because it really taught me a lot about, again, uh, really seeking testing of my own analysis. I was coming off a really successful product launch and I could say I was, I probably had some hubris into my own analysis, uh, and, and I was quickly humble. Um, so that's certainly one failure I can speak to. Other failures are just probably personal failures. You know, I, I started in sales actually that in accepting the job to national journal, I was your typical college grad at the time I was graduating in 2005. Uh, it certainly wasn't the period that some of my peers that came out in 08 and 09, uh, 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 were coming into the job market was okay, but really my sole motivation was I didn't want to go back home. Right. So, and I wanted to, and home uh, Virginia Beach. 
in the home is Virginia Beach, and I wanted to stay here. Um, uh, so, some of that was also driven by who, uh, my my now wife was my girlfriend at the time, and we were progressing to to get married. Right. Uh, and I certainly wanted to stay here. She uh, she's from uh, this area, right. um, so that also was was pulling me into DC. And I really was just looking for a job uh, that uh, I could grow in a job that would invest in my talent. And National Journal was the perfect place. Everything they said about uh, National Journal, I was like, you know, I'd really do anything there. It, it seems to be a good culture that you can you can plug in, you can work hard, it's a meritocracy, uh, and you really can work your way up there. There, there aren't these false structures uh, that some organizations have where you have to do a job for three years and then you go to the next the next uh, role. Right. Um, so in doing that, uh, I started in sales uh, and I actually loved it. It gave me a wonderful foundation for everything else I've done in my career. Right. There were many failures there. It, it usually involved missing goals, uh, which is always a tough thing for a salesperson, especially a salesperson uh, who is uh, an achiever, achiever. <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> that, that really, that really is a, like a, a knife to the heart. But every time I missed the goal, I also am analytical and I would analyze why, why I missed that goal. Uh, so there's nothing that really came past me when it comes to learning from the mistake. And to this day, I, I use some of the things I learned from the moments when I miss goals right. uh, to make decisions now. Well, I, I also think that coming from the sales side makes perfect sense. I'm sure that helped a great deal when you got into product development. Uh, it, it, it was... Perspective. It was indispensable, indispensable. Uh, where it helped the most is it really honed my ear to listen to the true need of a market. Right. Um, I think the mistake that many product companies make sometimes is they have their ideas lead and they don't let the market lead them to the idea. Right. Uh, and what I've found and what I've been taught is it is great to have ideas and you should have ideas. And I work in a company and I lead a company that is heavily focused on ideas and what's the next great idea out there. But what we always do is we let the market determine what ideas are real and what ideas are internal ideas that really won't work. I almost uh, say like, you know, if you reframe that question to what is the next great problem. Exactly. That you could, you know, provide a solution for. That, that is, you hit the nail on the head there. Right. Um, we always, and I'll tell you, it, it, our approach to product development uh, and my approach to product development is not to lead with, the, the idea or product that I might be testing. Right. Um, I always lead with questions like what's keeping you awake at night? Right. Exactly. Yes. Uh, what, what is, uh, what is the new, uh, priority that your boss just put on your plate that you're trying to figure out how you're going to get done this year. Right. And our best products within national journal come from those answers. Mm. 
So, Kevin, uh, a majority of, of those listening are, are working professionals, but many are also business owners or aspiring, at least aspiring to step into their own entrepreneurial journeys. So, you know, for those working in a corporate structure and also for those who are business professionals, I'd love you to maybe share some advice for people looking to develop a new product. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think my, my number one thing I would would tell people looking to develop a new product and, and especially entrepreneurs is learn the market that you want to go into really well. Start there. Yes. Start start by doing listening tours. So if, if you want to build an MP3 player, think about who listens to MP3 players and talk to them. Right. What, what do you want out of an MP3 player? But actually broaden it out. Uh, what do you listen to? Uh, what do you care about when you listen to when you listen to music or books uh, and really get deep into the mind of your market? Because uh, that's where your product's going to come from. That's where your business is going to come from. Uh, like we just spoke about, uh, being problem-based right. is always going to make sure your product has some type of utility. And products with utility uh, are ones that sell, right. uh, ones that people want to buy. How are you? I, I always say buying is personal, and people buy for two reasons. One is always selfish. How is this going to help me? And number two is still selfish, but it's how is this going to make my life easier? And when you can answer those two questions, and they're really close to each other, uh, but when you can answer those two questions clearly, then you have something that is the basis for a business or a product. Uh, And more importantly, taking it back back to every product needs to be sold by someone or something, you're going to have a really clear value proposition. And when I see products that, that succeed or products that fail, it always comes down to their value proposition. Yes. I, I'm loving this episode, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of wisdom you're pouring out, man. This is great. So, Kevin, how do you plan to to shift strategy, right? And now, as as president of of National Journal, how do you plan to to shift strategy to achieve your future goals and also leave your mark on the company and the people that you've been blessed to impact? Absolutely. So, it really starts with again uh, what we were talking about earlier. It starts with the people. And the biggest thing I can do is to bring high level talent into the organization that have those two pillars, the force of intellect, spirit of generosity and spades and empower them to take us to where we're going as a company. And that's where I've started. Uh, when I first took over, I really got to know the people uh, that I was taking on management of really well. And there is some tremendously talented people that I'm now working with. And my whole focus was how do I knock out uh, roadblocks for you? What are things that were keeping you from being as as good as you can be for a national journal? And let me worry about those. And you hold me accountable for knocking those roadblocks out of your way so you can really accelerate where we're going as a company. So... I started there. I started with my talent and managing my talent and making them feel supported and also empowering them, again, to use their 90th percentile skills. Uh, Number two, uh, and this is something that I've actually recently just completed, is 
uh, getting a three-year strategic plan and outlook approved by my leadership, which is the president of our holding company, Atlantic Media, as well as our chairman of the company, and then communicating that vision down to not only my direct reports, or but the entire organization. I've often seen, at least in observing leadership for, for 12 years, or really my entire life, I've always been interested in leading teams, is that often when the leader doesn't get buy-in from his team and or his superiors, your strategy falls down. Right. Uh, you you need you need everyone to be on the same page on your goals, uh, on how you plan to achieve those goals. And uh, from a staff point of view, you want your staff and you need your staff to be bought in on how they each individually play into achieving the strategy. So for them to feel empowered individually, they have to understand and agree with the direction you're taking the organization. So that's something I've worked really hard on for the last three months uh, and recently just presented to my whole company uh, our plan for 2017, which had a lot of the fundamentals uh, of the strategy that we're going to be using for the next three years. And number three is move as fast as you can. Uh, I think a lot of times leaders can get stuck in the planning phase and uh, they get stuck in, 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 in perfect territory. It needs to be perfect. And uh, I am a big believer in moving something to as good as it can be. And I can be a perfectionist, perfectionist at times. But what I think is most important is you set a clear vision and you go and you iterate. As you, as you learn, you iterate. But you want your organization to get forward momentum because that's where energy comes from. That's where belief in strategy comes from. And if you keep it in the planning phase for too long, you actually lose faith. Your staff loses faith. Your, your leadership, as far as your superiors, lose faith in you. Ultimately, I think I'll be judged as president is by, did you set a clear plan? Did you believe in that plan? Did you get buy-in about about whatever plan, whatever direction you wanted to take the organization in? And then did you go? Right. If mistakes are made, people will forgive mistakes if they know that there was a clear thinking around decisions that were made and you err towards action. And I'm a big believer in moving an organization towards action and knocking out what can some sometimes be bureaucracy. I, I'm I'm not a big fan of bureaucracy stopping an organization. That can happen sometimes, uh, where there's so many chains of decisions that are developed, and the plans actually look really good on paper, and there's great project plans in place, but. You never move forward because you get so stuck and in love with the planning. It's important for me as president to make sure the organization is moving in a forward direction. So, you know, I'd love I'd love to to, to pick your brain for a minute. I'm curious, excluding National Journal, what company or business do you admire the most and why? Wow, that's a that's a, a a great Great question. So I think there's a couple. I'll name a couple. One that actually 
some listeners may know it. It's called the Corporate Executive Board and the Advisory Board. Uh, now, they're, they're two different companies now, but actually they used to be one company. And they are a research organization. They were they were based in research. And I'm, I'm biased. Uh, our chairman, David Bradley, actually started both companies. Wow. But the reason, the reason why I admire them uh, is that when he started both corporate executive board, corporate executive board and advisory board, they were two organizations that were grounded in finding the best ideas in a particular industry. So I'll give a, a realer example. Corporate executive board would serve CFOs for Fortune 1000 companies. And these are some of the smartest people in the world. And they would actually uh, go and find best practices in a particular area within managing finance or leading the finance division within the organization. And they would teach it across the group. Uh, And they built a multi-million dollar business out of this. And once they did it for CFOs, they did it, for example, advisory board did it for CEOs of hospitals, and then they did it for the head of HR in hospitals, and corporate executive board did it for uh, the head of IT in corporations. And they continued to build up these programs till they built, again, a, a, a incredibly successful business. But here's why I admire them. Once they built their businesses in this way, and they still are grounded in research, they started listening to their clients. And now technology is a bigger part of what organizations do. And both the advisory board and corporate executive board have now pivoted somewhat from their research, their research roots to be technology companies. And now they're building out of all of their best practice research, they're building technology tools that are helping organizations be more efficient and be smarter. And I just think that's so smart because they didn't rest on their business laurels. They they kept innovating. They kept looking for the next idea. And I admire that. Uh, and and that's the type of business I want to run. I want I want to run a business that is always staying ahead of your your client base's needs uh, and taking chances uh, uh, to serve your client base just because you're hearing the right thing about their problems and you're coming up with the best solutions. Um, so that those are those are two companies I certainly admire. Um, I also and I think everyone admires Apple. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> my my reason for admiring Apple is I, I actually believe they are the one organization that and, and this may have been driven by Steve Jobs and, and, and what a great thinker he was. They're the one organization that can observe market trends and they just get it right more often than not. Yeah. Um, I, I often tell this story to my direct reports when we're thinking about product. It's really interesting that Apple never, never is a strong word, but at least with their initial creation, which was the iPod and other creations after that, these were always already products that existed in markets. Right? Uh, th- there were MP3 players before the iPod. Yeah. The iPod it in itself is an MP3 player. What Apple did was they looked at the market using what at that time was a commodity. I mean, everyone was producing an MP3 player and they came out with a solution that was so much better because they focused on user needs and what a user would really want and what they really cared about. And they mixed it in a base product and they just got it right. Yeah. And 
they do that more often than not. I mean, the iPhone, there were phones. Yes. There were I well let's mix the iPod in the in, in the phone and uh, let's create a a, a one stop shop experience. Um, so I just admire that because I, do what I, find, uh, right? I mean Dell was same thing. Dell was feeling at a, a, a tablet. Yeah, uh, it's uh, same thing. You can name all of their major products, and there were already there was always products out in the market already. Apple tends not to be the first mover. Uh, and there's certainly first mover advantage in certain markets, but uh, Apple usually is the second mover, the third mover, and they they kind of sit back and learn uh, what people like about a, a certain product line and what people don't like, and then they just get user experience. It so makes you almost right. wonder, right? If you <laughs> give up too quickly on an idea. Yeah. If you only tweaked it and figured, yeah. you know, doing that market research we talked about earlier, you know, to really figure out what went wrong and 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 continue to iterate. It's it's it, and that's the key word, Stephen. Iterate, iterate, iterate. And I think that is that is the failure of a lot of products. Um, I, I think people can people and organizations get in love with their initial idea and they just want it to work. They just want that idea to work. And, you know, sometimes it could have been the right idea for that moment, but user needs change. The problem change, the challenge that your market is facing change. And the more you iterate, uh, this the better chance you have uh, uh, to be successful. Uh, and if you stick with an idea and you tweak an idea, I mean, we launched a, a product this year that we've iterated the base of the product at least two or three times already. Wow. And now it's, st- it's starting to reach some good sales momentum in the market. And that's because we moved and we changed and we we're willing to, to make changes on the fly um, just based on what the market was telling us. So That's so important. Pause for any extended period of time, like a couple months, to watch it. You're open and willing to iterate as need be. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Sure. I, I, I am the type of product person and, and also the type of leader that I just need inputs from the market. And you learn a lot about your from your nose. You learn a lot from your nose. Yes, you learn from your yeses, but you learn from why people didn't do it, uh, why people didn't agree with your value proposition. And uh, you have to, have to, have to listen to your salespeople. Salespeople are or, or just client facing people in general, to me, are some of the most important pe- as a as a person that's been in product for the last five years, six years. They're the most important people I talk to every day because I want to know what their last sales meeting was like. What, what were your last 10 sales meetings like? What did people like? What didn't they what did they not like? What were your last 100 sales meetings like? And in those answers actually is what your product should be tomorrow. Right. Man, Kevin, I could talk to you the whole night, <laughs> but unfortunately, we need to begin wrapping up, right? Sure. So, you know, but before we do, you know, we'd love to, to to share resources and tools that you're using with our listeners, and I'd love to ask, you know, what's one book that you've read that inspired yep. you most? So, uh, zero to one is a book I would recommend to your listeners. Uh, it's by Peter Till, and he. Uh, essentially starts from a premise that the best ideas, the best products uh, actually are products that are original thoughts that involve original thinking that 
the the foundation of your product has to be grounded in something that's differentiated that a market or markets haven't experienced before. Uh, now, what's great about what he's saying is you certainly can build on top of that with things that that people use and are familiar with. And sometimes you have to, but his total premise is the foundation, however small it is, it could be really small, but the foundation of your value proposition has to be a different in kind offering. And that's been a, that's just a great thing to remember again with being in product and product development. Uh, and, and it's a book that, that, that I've found very helpful. Kevin, what's, what's something small that you've done this month that you're proud of? That's a that's a really good uh, question. So I think it's something small that I've done this month that that I'm I'm really proud of is um, I have set goals, strategic goals, uh, and I guess that's this is not small, but I've set strategic goals that I've gotten buy-in from everyone from my my superiors to all of my direct reports and to to be able to do that uh three months into the job is something i'm actually really proud of and it's not small (laughs) that's not small that's uh but that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) that is awesome so kev name an online resource it could be an app software or tool that you use every day and you can't live without it Ooh, can't live without it. Um, so there's an app, and, and uh, this might be a plug for you, Stephen. I can't live without my podcast app on my iPhone. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I think it's <laughs> – I, I try to listen to – uh, at least part of a podcast daily. And it's everything from sports because I'm a huge sports fan right. uh, to politics uh, to because the, the industry I am in is uh, politics, uh, at least in the in the group that we're serving at National Journal uh, to business. Uh, and I just find it really informative. It's relaxing for me on my on my commute. Uh, I can just plug my iPhone into my car and listen to it through the speakers uh, while I'm dealing with this DC traffic. <laughs> That's right. So, Kevin, I mean, you dropped so much knowledge in this interview. But before we, we go ahead and wrap up, I'd love to invite you to share one action that our trailblazers listening in should commit to this week to help them blaze their trail. Uh, that's that's another really good question. I think one action that you should commit to this week and every week is set a goal. However small it is, set a goal that you're going to run after uh, and you're going to hold yourself accountable for on a weekly basis. And these can be small goals and they should be small goals and they should always wrap up into a bigger goal that you're trying to achieve. But at least the achiever in me likes to set small goals that I can get to the end of the week and say, at least I did that. And this is putting me that much closer to this bigger goal that I'm working on. Yes, yes. I am a big, big believer in having written goals and tasking tasking them out, you know, to get, get your goals accomplished, right? Kevin, before we let you go, I just want to say thank you so very much for coming on the episode. You know, you've, you've poured out a ton of wisdom tonight 
And I appreciate you so very much for being so kind to share your story with our community. I know everyone will be sending me tweets, will be sending me messages about, you know, just how much they appreciate this episode. So go ahead and tell us how we can stay connected to you. And we'll finish up for today. Uh, Mostly, at least on social media, uh, I... I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter. Uh, other than that, you can certainly follow my organization, uh, especially if you have an interest in politics and policy and everything that's going to be certainly in a very excited place with the new administration coming in at nationaljournal.com. And we, we certainly would, would, would love uh, uh, love more followers there. So those are those are two ways you can stay connected. Awesome. Kev, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so very much. Well, thank you, Stephen. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tbpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers.